Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. Luke chapter 10, this is, uh, this is Jesus, uh, a story from Jesus. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law. Um, don't think lawyer. Your translation may actually say lawyer. Don't think like an expert in the law, like lawyer. It's, it's actually a lawyer, uh, the law, the moral law, the law of Moses, the Torah. It's scripture. So it's, this, is a, this is a theological expert here. This is a really smart, studious, scholarly, um, theological guy. It says he stood up to test Jesus. How many know right there, like, that's a bad idea, homie. That's a bad idea. He stood up to test Jesus. And he says, it says his teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I'm not going to preach on this today, but he's already got off to the wrong question. He's asking, what should I do? What do I have to do to inherit salvation or eternal life? Well, first of all, homie, you can't, you can't do anything. Uh, and, and he even uses the word inherit. Inheritance is not something you earn. It's something you receive. And so his question is already off to a bad start right here, but he's asking, see what he's wanting? He's wanting, he's wanting uh, a manageable. He's wanting something that he can do. He's wanting something that, where he doesn't have to rely on someone. He wants to be his own functioning savior. And he goes on and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says, well, what is written in the law? I love how Jesus would respond to questions with questions. He says, what is written in the law? And so the man replied, um, or, and then Jesus said, how do you read it? How, how do you understand? How do you interpret what the law says? And so the man answers, and this is, this is powerful. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the Shema. It's one of the oldest prayers that Jewish people would pray. So he quotes this accurately, like to the T. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength um, and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and then Jesus says, ding, 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 you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And I think Jesus is telling him this because that's a pretty tall task, don't you think? Like love God with everything and love people as yourself. Like uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Like and, and essentially Jesus is saying what you're, you're trying to get a manageable, something that you can do to inter- inherit eternal life. Well, if you can do this, then you can, you can, you can earn it. Well, that's the point precisely. You can't do that. Like you can't. He's saying the standard is so high, you can't accomplish it on your own. You can't be your own functioning savior. You need someone else to save you. You need someone else to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. This is the gospel wrapped up even in just this little bit. He says, you've answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, look at this. He's looking for a loophole. Eugene Peterson says it in his translation. Um, so who exactly is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said this. He says, this is brilliant. He starts to tell a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. On the other side. Then Jesus continues and he says, so too a Levite. So the priest is like a, a pastor. A Levite is like a servant, part of the dream team at the church, right? He says, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, at this point, this expert of the law would have, would have thought, oh, this must be the, the, the guy that beat up the, 
the, the guy in the ditch. This must be the robber coming back to take him out fully because they didn't like Samaritans. He says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, Jesus says, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity. So weak translation there. He had compassion. He had mercy. He had empathy. He had something on the inside of him. He felt something for this man. And look what it did. It, he went to him. So his compassion moved him to action and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, um, personal sacrifice, put him on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the, uh, to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three, Jesus says, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who, um, who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He wouldn't even say Samaritan. That's how, that's how much of a racist he was. Okay? This is how much racial hate he had in his heart. He would not, the Jewish man would not even say the Samaritan. And this is kind of the point of the story. Jesus is showing him, you don't really love people. You actually have uh, racial hate and anger in your heart towards people, humankind, mankind. You think you're better than them. And Jesus is exposing his heart. It's so good. Um, he says, the one who had mercy on him, and Jesus told him, well, then you go and you do likewise. I love this particular story because this story is about race. It's about, uh, it's, it's about redemption. It's about restoration. It's about uh, broken humanity finding itself in a desperate situation and, and other people coming to that person's uh, aid and helping them. There's so much in this. I could preach a million different angles on this, but I want to share for just a moment, really from these, these few words right here, the other side. That's what I felt like the Holy Spirit dropped in my heart as I was praying, the other side. We're going to talk about the other side for just the remaining 29 minutes. You can start your time clock right now. We're going to get you out of here. No buzzer, though. I heard last week you guys had a loud buzzer. Please don't do the buzzer on me, okay? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Short prayer, because I know y'all watching your clock. Short prayer right there. But uh, hey, how many of you, by a show of hands in here, you, you love a good story? Who in here, you, you love a good story, right? Yeah, most of us in here. If you didn't raise your hand, you do love a good story. You're just not admitting it, okay? We all love a good story. To be human is to love stories. Uh, there was a famous rabbi saying that would say, uh, the, shortest distance, the shortest distance between God and man is just one story, so tell the story. Uh, stories are powerful. Stories move us. Stories inspire us. Stories, you know, it's, it's, that's why they tell the story on America's Got Talent before the person performs because they want you to cry, right? On The Voice, they tell the person's story so that you're moved. And when they sing, even if they're not good at singing, you're like, but they have a great story. You know, it's like, we love stories. We do. We love them. I, I, if you haven't noticed, I love to tell stories. I tell stories all the time whenever I'm preaching. If you've hung out with me outside of, of church or whatever, you notice that I like to tell stories around the dinner table. Uh, you know, we're sitting around on, on a, we have like a little side porch. I'll sit out there with friends and we'll, we, I'll be like, I'll, I'll tell a story. I'll look at somebody like, hey, tell that story. You know, I love stories. I love to tell stories. Love to tell them when I preach. Uh, my wife loves to correct the stories that I tell when I preach. She does. She's got the other side of the story. You know what I'm saying? The other side. There's the other side. <laughs> the other side of the story. She likes to do it. But I, I love this because Jesus, Jesus would, uh, he loved to tell stories. Like 
He loved it. He, he, would, he would take his, these truths, these principles, these insights, and he would wrap them in stories. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. They, they call these stories parables. Parables just simply means to throw alongside. So it's a story or an anecdote thrown alongside a truth to uh, sometimes to bring revelation to that truth so that someone can take an abstract idea and then connect it to a concrete story or illustration. But sometimes it was to conceal truth from certain people. Um, but in this particular thing, Jesus is not concealing truth, but he's trying to reveal truth to this expert in the law. This guy knows so much theology and yet he doesn't know the heart of God. Do you know that one of the saddest things is whenever Christians, they, whenever Christians come up with this phrase in, in churches where they're like, I'm just, I'm, we're just not going deep enough or I'm just not getting enough there. I mean, I just want to go ahead and just push pause here. I think if we never had another theological um, uh, exegetical study of anything in scripture and we just had love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's it. That's as deep as some people just need. You just need to try that one. Like that is hard enough. I think that's kind of what Jesus is doing here. He's just jabbing this guy a little bit saying, you want to go deeper? You want a deeper level of understanding? I want a deeper level of obedience. And so, man, he just, just goes in with this guy, but he's telling this story. And I love that about Jesus. He just would tell these stories, unpack and unfold these stories, and truth like a bomb would just explode onto people. And then they were forced with a decision, will I do what he's saying to do, or will I not do what he's saying to do? Now, this particular story is, is I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's fictional, right? It's not a real story that we're aware of. But he begins to tell this story, and I believe that it really, it's, it's moving, it's opening this guy's heart up so that God can drop truth in there. But as we see later on, the guy doesn't really respond to the truth. But here's, here's kind of to give you some context to the story, and I'll point out just a couple of things that I believe speak true to us as loving our neighbor. Um, that when you understand this road from, if you're not familiar with the text, there's this road from Jericho to, to Jerusalem, vice versa. This one particular road is called, they would call it the bloody pass or the bloody way because it was, it was such a like sketchy area. It's like really rough. Now we got some streets like this up in San Francisco. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to name any names, any neighborhoods. We ain't going to go there. But it, you know, like we got some areas like this, like every city has it. Well, this was one of those areas where like you just do not want to go down that road at night. You just don't want it to happen right? Some shady stuff can go down there. The bloody pass was one of those places where when someone was traversing or traveling from, from one end to the other, they'd always have, they usually have some, uh, like a little caravan with them. Uh, but in this particular story, Jesus is saying that there's this guy, it looks as if he's by himself. We don't know what his nationality is. Most theologians and scholars believe that Jesus is implying that it's a Jewish person that's on this road. And then he, he finds himself in a situation where robbers come out, they beat him up, uh, they, they, they totally uh, take all of his clothes, they strip him naked, uh, they take all of his possessions, and they, they leave him for dead. They probably even think that he's dead. They throw him off into a ditch. And he's there in this ditch, and Jesus starts unpacking this story. And the first two people in the story are two good guys. They're church people, right? It's the pastor and the dream team member. And, and as he's talking to this crowd of people, if you're here today for the very first time and you hear people laughing, we call our volunteers dream team members. So that's give you some context there, you know? It's like when you're having a conversation, you're telling a story, and, and, someone, and you say someone's name, and someone has to pause and go, Jessica is this person. Continue, okay? I do that to Jennifer all the time. It's like, contextualize. So, uh, so anyway, so, so, so Jesus is telling the story and he's like, when he gets to this point in the story, he's like, so a priest is coming by. There's a guy in the ditch. He's beat up. He's really messed up, hurting, in pain. A pastor is coming by. The, the expert in the law would have been like, 
great. Someone's coming by to the rescue. And Jesus says, but he passes by on the other side of the road. He keeps his distance from the man's, his, the man's brokenness and desperation. And he passes by. I don't know where he's going. Maybe he's going to church. Maybe he just doesn't have time and is scheduled to stop. How many know it's easier to go to church than actually be the church? <laughs> Moving right along. Jesus says the pastor keeps strolling by and he moves by on the other side. Uh, not moved at all by the man's um, circumstances, situation. Second guy comes, dream team member, spiritual leader. He's not at the level of a pastor spiritually or some scholarly person, just a person that maybe loves God, just trying to serve and you know, make a difference. And when he injects this guy into the story, the, the expert of the law is probably thinking, well, if the pastor didn't stop, he probably had some things to tend to. So now this other guy, this is kind of part of his assignment. He'll stop, he'll help. And Jesus says, but him too. He passes by on the other side. And then he starts talking about this Samaritan that comes up and how this Samaritan comes down. He, he comes down from this place. I mean, you know that, that I believe that serving is stooping to greatness. It's coming down. This is the picture of Jesus coming down from heaven to serve humanity in, in the ditch of desperation. The Samaritan comes down off of this donkey. He goes into the ditch. He, look at this. He closes the gap. Between this side and that side, he, he shortens the distance. I, I think that, that one of the biggest problems is whenever churches get to the place where we become just about a service or an event or a gathering and we distance ourselves from the depravity of people and brokenness and desperation and hurting humanity. When we distance ourselves, listen, distance creates distortion. What happens is, is when we, when we distance ourselves from broken people, we'll, be, we'll, we'll come to our own conclusions and have our own assumptions of why they are the way they are. We see her dressing like that and we, we don't know her story, so we come to our own conclusion. We see the guy that's homeless and we, we have our distance because we don't know his story. And so because we have our distance, it distorts our, our perception of, of what this person's real issue is. And we begin to think, well, they're just an addict or they're uneducated or they're this or they're that. Distance will create distortion. But what I've discovered is when you can close the gap, proximity can give you perspective about a person's situation and pain and circumstance and brokenness. Once you know what they've walked through, it may shift and change the way that you feel about that person or see that person. I think sometimes we wait to have these feelings of compassion. And I think sometimes what we need more than anything is to position ourselves up next to the brokenness of humanity. And as we get close to pain, the pain touches us. That's why Jesus was the incarnate God. He was God wrapped up in flesh that moved into the neighborhood, Eugene Peterson says. We need to, we need to incarnate the church, wrap ourselves up, and we need to get into the community where the brokenness of humanity is at. And I'm telling you, you don't care about homeless people? Then you go and serve homeless people at, at, at City Impact. I bet you'll start caring once you sit down and you hear Jessica's story, how she ended up there. It's pretty hard to judge people through a lens that is distorted. When you get up next to their pain and you find out Part of the reason why they are the way they are is because of what they walk through. Now, listen, our brokenness can never be justified by these other things. If a person's, you know, struggling with all these issues and they have a jacked up, you know, situation, I'm not saying that you hear their story and it's like, well, that explains it and now it's okay for them to be like that. I think God loves us so much he'll come to us where we're at, but he doesn't leave us where we're at, right? The point I'm trying to make is that I think that, that we, we could do so well if we get up next to people's brokenness a little bit closer, shorten the distance. That's why it's important. Every one of you, I want you to hear me say this, as the pastor of this church, this is like shameless plug, okay? Every single one of you at some point while you're a part of this church, I would admonish you 
I would implore you, and every other word that sounds important, I would, I would encourage you, okay? I would beg you, okay, to be a part of an outreach or a service project and don't just go there and get the job done. Go there and hear their story. Look somebody in their eyes and say, tell me your story. My encouragement to you is not just that you do our outreaches. Like, I'm not naive enough to believe that we are doing everything here. We're not. We're doing our little part. I told this guy yesterday, he's like this global pastor. He's like, man, you guys are crushing it. I was like, I don't know about that. I was like, I know we have a corner of the earth and we're trying to be faithful. Okay. We're not doing everything, but we're doing something. We can't do everything, but we can do something. So my encouragement is not just that you go on our outreach. I pray that you would. If this is your church, then why would you not? Like, do it. Okay. Just do it. Okay. But I would encourage you, there are great places to serve in our city. There are great places all over for you to go and to get up next to the brokenness and the pain of somebody else. And what you're going to find is when you do that, it's going to jack you up. You will be messed up. Like once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once you feel it, you can't unfeel it. <laughs> once you smell it, you can't unsmell it. You know what I'm saying? There's some places in our, you know what I'm saying? That's why I think the big, the big trend for years with churches was to, to gather people to go do on a short-term mission trip. You know why? The thought was this. Let's be real. You go, how many of you have done a short-term mission trip? Okay. I mean, let's be real. You really didn't do much. Okay. I've been on a lot. You didn't do much. You didn't really change anything. Like God used you, I'm sure. But the greatest change, <laughs> can we just be candid? Like, let's be real. Here's why they got you on that trip. Here's why you sent all those letters out and got support and you took your PTO days. All of that was really not for God to use you to change them. It was for God to use them to change you. That's why you went. And you know, you, you know as well as I do, like what is seven days? What are you going to do in seven days in that third world country that got you're not going to do much. You went there. Here's what, the, here's in the church world. Here's what they call it, our organizational world, they call it nonprofit world. That was a vision trip. That wasn't a mission trip. That was a vision trip. They wanted you to go there so you get a vision and then you get a heart for people. And I just want to encourage you, go somewhere where you can get up next to someone's broken. This is not in my notes, by the way, but it is in my heart. I pray that you would do as I've done and different people in this crew. Because once you get up next to someone, and you find out that the reason he is homeless is because 10 years ago, his, he never dealt with his father wounds in his life. And so he began to feel that pain with alcohol, which made him an alcoholic. And then he started shooting up. And then he found himself losing his wife, his kids, and everything. And all of it went back to he was a normal young man, but just didn't have a good father. Something changes. It messes with you. When you realize you were one, you were one father wound away from living in the TL shooting up. It just messes with you. Distance create, can create distortion. So sometimes we got to come close. And I think that's one of the first things. I, I, I don't have points for this. I'm making them up on the fly here. I'm scratching my points. So go with me. I think that one of the first things Jesus wants to teach us from this is that we got to come from our side to the other side and just shorten that gap. He wants us to get close 
to brokenness. The, the very center of the gospel, the foundation of that narrative is that God is Emmanuel. He is God not in the galaxy far away, loving on a world that he created, but he is God that has come near to us. He is with us. He is not just for us, but he is with us. Jesus came and he, imagine he walked around and he was all around the brokenness of people. He would go to the leper colonies. He would go to where the hungry were. He would go to where the sick were. He, if you wanted to find Jesus, find the broken and that's where you would find him. He wasn't found 24 seven in the synagogue preaching. He was found among the broken. May we be found among the broken. Second thing is, is this is, I would say to you, I think that we, we don't know why the two guys don't, don't get close to, to this guy and his brokenness. But I can only imagine that they, they have, they, we know they had the opportunity, but we also know that they must have had an excuse. And what I have discovered is that it's so easy to find excuses. And there's always a reason not to get in the middle of somebody's brokenness. There's always a reason not to stop and to help the person out. There's always a reason, you know, there's always gonna be a reason. There's so many different reasons. You know, there's one is like, I don't have enough time. That's probably most of us in here. Think about this, newsflash. Jesus had the same amount of time that you have and I have. So did Mother Teresa, so did Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Must I go on? It's not an issue of, 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 of we don't have enough time. It's an issue of how are we steward our time. You either waste your time, you spend your time, or you invest your time. And when you're a kingdom person, when Jesus is your king and you're kingdom minded and you're bringing about his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, then you, you begin to prioritize your schedules to reflect the kingdom. Not your kingdom, but his kingdom. And we begin to prioritize and we say, I'm going to create margin in my schedule to be someone else's miracle. And, and there's always a reason. There's always some kind of reason. I mean, I know this. Like, listen, I'm not preaching to you like I don't. There are days when I see someone and I'm like, I just don't have time for that. I don't have the energy for that today. You ever been like that before? You're like, I don't have the emotional energy for her today. I can't deal with her drama. I used to have a pastor, a friend of mine used to say, save the drama for your mama. That's what he was saying. So dumb. It drove me crazy when he would say that. But I understand it. There's sometimes, like the reality is, 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 you probably don't have enough time. You probably don't have enough money. We'd probably all say that, right? No matter how rich you are, you don't have enough money. You don't have enough energy. We don't have, we always have a reason. There's always a reason uh, to not carry someone's burden. Jonathan Edwards, the great Jonathan Edwards, he said this, great minister. He said, how can we say that we're bearing one another's burden if we bear no burden at all? Think about that. How can we as followers of Jesus do what the scriptures tell us to do, which is bear one another's burden so to fulfill the, lo the law of Christ, right? How do we bear one another's burden if, we, if we're not willing to bear a burden at all? In other words, like anytime we are to love thy neighbor, anytime we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, it's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take inconvenience in our schedule. It's going to take disruptions. It's gonna, it's, it, will take, it will take money. It will take time. It will take energy. It will take all of those things. And the question always comes down to, will we love our neighbor as we love ourselves? That's, that's the issue there. Like, will I love her or him enough to inconvenience myself in the way that if I was in that situation, I would want someone to love me? Um, will we love them? And, and we'll always have these reasons and these excuses why we can't do it. I'm not going to go through all those. You fill in the blank with the ones that you come up with. But I know one time I was riding down the road. I was probably 20 years old. I was praying, driving out. I had a red Mitsubishi Eclipse. It was so ghetto, this car I had. 
I'm riding down the road. I'm like just, you know, and it was, it was late at night. I just left some friend's house. We had like this, this awesome time of prayer. And uh, I left the house one, two in the morning, driving down this road in the city I grew up in. And I, it just kind of lingered. Like I was still in that spiritual mode. Like I just got my car by myself two in the morning. I cranked up some, I think back then it was like, it was like wild worship. Like it was like, you know, shout to the Lord. I was working it, you know. I turned this worship up. I'm driving down the road. I'm praying. I remember this. Listen to me. I was praying, God, I want to be used by you. God, I want you to use me. God, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Send me to the nations, God. Send me across the seas, God. I'll bring the gospel to people. I feel, I feel like you're going to use me, God. Use me. I'm praying this prayer, audacious, bold prayer. I'll do anything, Lord. If you'll just use me, my answer is yes. What do you want me to do? I'm praying. And as I'm driving, I'm driving on Jefferson. Oh, I think it was Jefferson Highway. I'm coming past this Circle K. God, use me. God, use me. I'll go anywhere. And I look to the right and there's a car that's broken down and there's a couple with a flat tire. And I'm like, God, use me. God, use me. Lord, use me. Use me. I just kept going. <laughs> I just kept rolling, man. And God's like, you're not going to, you're not going to, I'm trying to use you. Wait. And I'm like, but God, it's 2 in the morning. I got to wake up at 6 in the morning. I got work. And I got, man, God, I'm sure they got AAA. Like, I'm like, I'm like praying. I'm like every excuse. And I felt like the Holy Spirit, just as a way he kind of gives me the spiritual backhand. Here's what he said to me in his little subtle way. He said, really, Jason? Like, you want me to send you across the seas and I can't even send you down the street? Like, you want me to use you. I'm trying to use you. And, and I mean, he's just, it was convicting me and I'm trying to pray through God's voice. <laughs> How does that even work? I'm going to get louder. I'm going to turn, I'm going to turn up Darlene check. You don't even know that is. It's all right. I'm going to turn in Darlene, Darlene check. She's going to drown out the voice of the Holy Spirit. Shout to the Lord all the year. I'm singing and I'm telling you, God is just, he's, he's just like, man, Jason, come on. And I was like, fine. I turn around and I'll go back. And it was amazing. You know what? I get there. On my, on my way back, I'm praying. I'm like, God, you're going to use me. I'm going to lead them to the Lord. I'm going to pray the sinner's prayer. They're going to get saved. They're going to come to church. I'm going to have this great story to tell. I'll work it into a message. You know, I'm all these things I'm praying as an idiot pastor or idiot young uh, leader. And as I pull back up, I start talking to them. I ask them their story. They're Christians. They have a crazy background, but they're Christians. And they said, we were just, we, we had been praying right here saying, God, just help us because we don't know how we're going to fix this. We can't afford this. And you showed up. And I got back in my car and I'm just like, man, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I almost, I almost, I almost had, I had these excuses that got me out of being used in a supernatural way to encourage God's people. I said, God, help me not to come up with excuses like that. It's easy to come up with excuses, but you can't have excuses. Everybody say, no excuses. There's no excuses. You shouldn't have an excuse. I shouldn't have an excuse. I'll hurry. I'll give you this, this last little point right here. Um, my last point, I forgot what I was going to put in here, but I'll just make one up right here for you, okay? Oh, here it is. Okay, good. Thank you, Ellen. Make me sound spiritual. <clears throat> If you're a guest here today, I normally don't do stuff like this, but it's a fun day. Yeah, so here's a question. In my notes, they may put up there. In my notes, I did have it like this. You just have to make a, you have to make a decision. Like, are you going to stay on this side or are you going to be moved by compassion? Like, that's it. It's just a decision. It's not like, 
It's nothing more than we make a decision. Will we love the people that God's put in our path? Because every one of you, there are people on your path. Have you noticed the city that you live in or you live around? It is beautiful. Make no mistake about it. Like it is beautiful. Billy Graham used to say this when he'd come to our, to our city here. He would say, he was joking, of course, but he would say, um, when I'm in San Francisco, I, I, uh, I'm reluctant, something like this, I'm reluctant to preach on heaven because SF is so beautiful. Like, Billy Graham would say that, right? It's beautiful. You think about the, like the diversity of our city. We have racial diversity, cognitive diversity. We have, we have, uh, we have you know, all these different things. Like the, look at the arts, look at like the food. Look at the food that we have. It's unbelievable. Right? We're like food mecca here. The coffee, everything, the landscape is beautiful. But it's also extremely broken. Like when you get a chance, look at the stats of the brokenness of our city. Look at how messed up our city is. It's both beautiful and it's broken. Our job as a church is to magnify her beauty and to take this brokenness and try to figure out how can we close the gap here? I'll tell you how you close the gap between beauty and brokenness is you shorten the distance between your side and the other side where a person is at. That's how we bridge the gap of those two things. That's how that you and I do it. We just have to come to the other side and we have to make a decision that we're gonna do that. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this, that I, I didn't have compassion, and this is to illustrate this last thought, and I'll, I'll wrap up. I didn't really have compassion for my dad. My dad and I, we had a broken relationship, and I just thought my dad was a, like a monster, to be honest. I thought he was a terrible human. I, 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 I wish that he would die. I would, I would like write in this journal about like how, how much I hated my dad. I was really, I was a bitter young man. And from 15 to like, I don't know, 21, 22, had nothing to do with my dad. And, but I remember that, you know, eventually I ended up forgiving my dad and God restored our relationship and it was beautiful, awesome part of the story. But I was praying about this one day, like what was it that gave me the compassion to, to reconcile with my dad? What gave me, what helped me with having the grace to forgive my dad? What helped me with having the grace to be around him and his new wife that he cheated on my mom with and remarried? How did I do that? Like, cause I remember praying one day and I was like, it was supernatural how God did that. Cause I know I didn't do that. That was not in my own strength. It was, it was a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. So I was praying about it one day and I was like, God, how did you help me do that? And he brought me back to this one little moment of my life. I was 17 years old, was not a Christian. Um, I was in and out of jail. I was addicted to drugs. The jail stuff, every time I would get arrested all the time. Friends of mine that are here today that know me from then, they know I was very screwed up. But really I was just, I was, I was broken and, and hurting because my family was broken. You know, hurt people hurt people. You know how that goes. And so I was really broken, really wounded and kept getting in all these fights and all these, you know, domestic violence and stuff. And I picked up a lot of, a lot of criminal charges. Like we don't put our rap, we don't put our credentials on the wall at our office. One, because we don't have an office. <clears throat> Two, because it would be like, I mean, Elton has good credentials. Mine would be like felonies, misdemeanors. It's like, you know, that's your pastor. So anyway. Um, and people are like, where'd you get theological training? Uh, East Baton Rouge Parish Prison. <laughs> no. So anyway. That's funny, wasn't it? So, so anyway, so. So I, I was, I was, I had all these, I mean, I had a lot of stuff going on in my life. Well, one day I'd go to court when I was 17 years old, before I gave my life to Jesus, I go to court and they, the judge looks at me and he says, son, in front of the entire courtroom. And I'm like trying to be all hardcore, you know, 
He's like, son, you know what the problem is? He's like, you have anger, and it's because, he goes, it's because there's stuff you haven't dealt with. The judge said this in a criminal court. This wasn't a preacher. The judge, he goes, you need to deal with the anger in your life, or that's going to eventually deal with you. Amen. He was like, here's what I'm doing. I'm not, he goes, I'm not going to put you, I'm not going to lock you up. I'm going to force you for a year to go to anger management. I was so mad that he was sending me to anger management. <laughs> That's when you know you got anger problems and you're angry about going to anger management. <laughs> so my attorney worked it out to where I, uh, where I could pick, where I could go to this counselor that my mom knew. My mom's like this woman of faith. So she's like, he's got to go to a Christian counselor because you know the secular counselors, they don't know what they're talking about. This is a spiritual thing, you know? So, so anyways, that's my mom. So the, the attorney gets me hooked up with this, this Christian counselor. His name was Doug Carroll. So I'm 17 years old. I start these these counseling appointments to deal with my anger. And about the third or fourth session into it, you know, Doug would ask me one question and I would just go off. And all I talked about was my dad, how much I hated him and how much he was a loser and all, all this stuff. Third or fourth counseling session, Doug hit his desk, a big guy stood up, hit his desk to get my attention. And he said a profanity. Okay. Not going to say it in here. <laughs> that would make today very crazy, but, uh, <laughs> But he, he says his profanity, and it did. It got my attention, so he knew what he was doing. And I don't even know, like, I don't even know if this is legal, like the whole confidentiality thing, but he, he said this to me, and it got my attention. And I remember it to this day. He said, you know what, young man? He said, your problem is not your, your father. Your problem is, is you don't really understand or know your father. And he said this. He goes, just a few weeks ago, your dad was laying on that couch over there in the fetal position, weeping and crying because I made him write a letter a reconciling letter to his, his deceased mother. He said, and when I made him read it to me, he began to bawl, cry, and he got in a fetal position, could not even move. He was on that couch. And he said, your dad would lay at the end of his mother's bed as a young man, you know, 12, 13 years old, and she would come home from different, different nights with different men. And they were poor, and he slept at the end of the bed, and he was so ashamed, he would pretend he was asleep, and she would be there different nights with different men. And he said, the reason why your father is sexually broken and made the mistakes he's made is because he never dealt with his pain. And the reason why he's the way he is is because his mother never dealt with her pain. And he said, and the cycle is this, is that the one you resent, you'll eventually resemble. And he looked at me and he said, maybe if you just knew your dad's story a little bit more, maybe you'd have a little bit more compassion to, to seek reconciliation and forgiving. I left that counseling session that day and I realized the problem was I had a distorted view of my dad and his pain and his brokenness because I just didn't know his story. And the more I got to know his story, the more I, want, I began to feel the love of God for him. And I began to feel broken, like literally... I had a brokenness for my dad and I wanted to forgive my dad because I began to have the father's heart for my father. And I thought about that in relation to love thy neighbor because I think that the remedy to many of us, like if, we were to, if I were to interview many of you, you'd say, man, I just struggle. Like I don't think about loving my neighbor. I don't think about the people on my street. I don't think about the homeless in our city. I don't think about... I, I'm telling you, this is my call to action. My call to action is not just go do an outreach. My call to action is not just serve. My call to action is for you, number one, when you see someone in their pain, your first response, not be judgment, 
your first response not be diagnosis of the situation. Your first response be, Lord, I wonder what their story is. That would be the first thing I tell you to do. The second thing I tell you to do is when you see someone in their pain at your office, in your neighborhood, whatever, you see them in a situation, in a ditch like the, like the, the guy in this story, I encourage you to take the time to ask them, tell me, your, tell me your story. Tell me a little bit about your background. I promise you that the more you hear people's story, the more God will give you a, a love for them, a grace for them, and a compassion for them. And if, you, if none of that works as a motivation, I'll tell you the greatest motivation would probably be this, is when you realize who's who in this story of Luke 10. Is you're not the good Samaritan, I'm not the good Samaritan. We're not to just read this story and to think, man, the good Samaritan is really good. Now let's just all go out and be good. Jesus is the true and greater Samaritan. He's the one that came down from heaven and he comes to you and to me in the ditch of our depravity, in the ditch of our brokenness, in the ditch of our sin and our situation and our hopelessness and the place that stripped naked in shame in our own, figuratively speaking, in our own blood, left to die. He comes to us from this side, heaven, to this side in our ditch and he doesn't just speak words and say, hey, come on up here. He gets down in the ditch with us. He gets down in our brokenness. He picks us up and he carries us to a safe place. And Jesus says this, he carries us to an end. Most theologians believe that this passage, the end is the church, that he carries the broken to a place of safety to the church. And he says, hey, I'm entrusting them to you. But listen, everything's covered, everything for them. I'm gonna pay for everything for them. I'm going away, but I will come back and I will reimburse you for everything that you do. Listen, church, listen to me, church. Every person that's in this city and in this region, if we'll just go out there to them the way that Jesus came to us, we'll pick them up and we'll carry them to church. We'll bring them to this place, a safe place, a secure place for them to be fully known and to be fully loved, to be fully accepted in the middle of their brokenness, their dysfunction and their mess. We bring them here. I'm telling you, Jesus is coming back one day. And he will repay you for all the tithe that you have sown in this church, all the offerings that you've given, all the time that you've served. He'll, he'll reimburse you. He's going to repay you, not just 30, 60, but 100 fold. He's going to do more than what you can even imagine. But the question is, will we be like the true and greater Samaritan Jesus who will come out of our place of comfort, comfort and go to the place of broken humanity and help people that cannot help themselves? My prayer is that we'd be a church like that. Amen. Come on, why don't you clap your hands and receive that. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.